prophet Micah. We're journeying through this hard message, this strong message about justice. Let me pray. Father God, open our hearts to your word that we might be transformed into the image of Christ by the power of your spirit, we ask through Jesus. Amen. Well, in 2014, after the fall of the city of Mosul in northern Iraq to what we call then ISIS or ISIL Islamic State, they began to go through the town and mark certain houses and buildings with an N, a Nun, that symbol there. They actually wrote the symbol, then put it in red and put a circle around it. It looked like a kind of a smiley face with one eye, but it was anything but a smiley face. It said, this house, this property is lived in by followers of the Nazarene, the N. They're Christians, Assyrian Christians. And they told them they had to convert to Islam and pay a tribute or face execution. A little bit of grace, you might say. Otherwise, leave the borders of the Islamic Caliphate by this deadline. The result was a mass, complete mass exodus of Assyrian Christians who'd been living in Mosul for 1,800 years. It was evil. It was wicked. Perhaps extreme. Perhaps not. Because Christians all over our planet face similar persecution and resistance and threat. In fact, much of the New Testament is written to Christians facing very similar threats. But it's not just Christians. We live in a wicked, wicked world. There are countless stories that could be told of oppression and injustice and abuse and corruption. All over the world, in every age, we live in an evil world, a wicked world. We live in a world that is under curse. We live in a world subject to judgment. And it all goes back to the beginning, back to creation. God created a good world and he placed this man, Adam and Eve, in this paradise garden called Eden where he ruled and he called them then to rule over this world under him. And to obey him. And so in that paradise there was justice. And there was peace. And there was freedom. Until they decided they wanted to set the rules themselves. And do their own thing. And they rebelled against God and they disobeyed. And with that rejection of God, God said, you want that, you have that but not in my garden paradise. And so they were banished from this garden paradise and they were placed in a world, well, the world of their choosing, a world under curse. The world that we live in. The very next chapter, Abel and Cain, two sons. Well, envy steps in. Cain resents Abel. And so he kills his brother. There is bloodshed. Now that's 
injustice, to kill out of envy. And so begins a downward spiral through the people who follow till we get to the time of Noah and it could be said that every inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. A world where God is not king, a world where we are handed over really to another king, uh, where we seek to serve ourselves, a world of curse. And that is the root of the injustice that we live with in this world. Our world, which is so wonderful, which is so glorious, and yet is so wicked. That's the world of the prophet Micah in the 8th century BC. He was prophet to Israel, the people of God, and God called the Israelites to himself and said, You are my treasured possession. And he gave them his laws and said, I'm going to be amongst you and rule over you and you will obey me. And they said, yes, yes, we will do that. This will be good. And we will be and they will be an oasis of justice and peace in a world under curse. And the whole world will be able to see this oasis and say, that's how we want to live. That's how we want to be. But instead, Micah's world, the city of Jerusalem, the surrounding area, was one of gross injustice. With the leaders calling the shots and everyone looking after themselves. And so last week, if you were here last week when Johnny spoke from chapter 6, God pleads his case, if you like, in court and he has a charge against Israel. He says, I established covenant with you. And I was faithful, and I blessed you, and I led you, and I showered you with my gracious love. And the covenant responsibility is in return. What does the Lord require? Well, I don't want your religion and your carry-on. Here's what I want. Chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. And to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And the Lord set the example of what that meant. And the leaders of Israel, well, they set their example. Chapter 6, verse 11. Shall I acquit someone, says the Lord, with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. It is so wrong in the oasis of justice. And so, at the end of the chapter, Therefore I will give you over to ruin, and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. They're handed over. The oasis is handed over to the world that they want to be. The hard thing is that the prophet Micah is going to be caught up in the mess. In fact, every faithful person in Israel will be caught up in the chaos. They'll be swept up in the judgment to come. 
just like the people of Mosul, the Christians there, were swept up in the curse. Just like we are, who call Jesus Lord, we're swept up in the madness. And that is hard. And how do you survive? And how do you cope? And how do you process this? How do you make sense of faith in a world like this? Well, in chapter 7, I think Micah shows us the way. Faith in the face of injustice. One of the things we might do is we might say, well, we're going to stand above this fallen world. I'm better than that. I'm going to isolate and avoid myself of that and really stand in judgment myself with a smug moral superiority. I think many people do that, but that is not Micah's way. In chapter 1, after he first declares judgment, he says, Because of this I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jacket and moan like an owl. He says the same thing. He's just announced judgment after God's court case. What is his response? Chapter 7, he says, What misery is mine. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Mike is going through the, after the harvest looking for the leftover fruit. Something sweet, something precious, and there's nothing. He's empty, he's hungry. There's nothing good. And it's heartbreaking. He says, The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled at doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire. They're all weaving this tapestry together. He's shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require? To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. Well, where are they? They're gone. They're absent. To use the term that Jesus used... If we put them in Micah's situation, there is no salt and light in Israel. There is no righteousness. There's no one preserving or showing a better way. And the leaders who should be leading, oh, they're leading all right. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. There's complete societal and moral breakdown. Whereas the leaders, the best of the leaders, the ones you might think, well, maybe there's hope there. No, 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 no. There's no how do they get there? There's no hope there. If you go to any radically unjust, oppressive regime throughout history, you will find it's the same. Who is the best of the Nazis? 
Everything becomes eroded and corrupted and ruined. And so there is no stability and there is no security. And so the judgment, the day God visits you has come. The day of your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion because everything's falling apart. Get what you want. They're under curse. And it impacts every facet of life down to the most personal level. Do not trust a neighbour. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his whole household. And it happens. It happened in Nazi Germany. It, it happened in Soviet Russia. It happened with life under the Cultural Revolution in China. It happens in North Korea today where you have the SS and the Stasi and the KGB and the secret police and everybody lives in fear. And everybody's watching their back and actually maybe there's profit for me if I betray my friend who gave me this confidence that he's not on board or maybe there's if I betray my own family. Society breaks down. This is judgment. This is curse. This is what happens when faithful, godly people are swept from the land when there is no salt and light. There's no blessing, there's no fruitfulness, there's no justice, there's no peace. You're left rather with desolation, a God-forsaken land. And the remnant of believers get swept up in the chaos. How do you respond? Or resist? Or conform? Or hide and avoid? I think as Michael would tell us, no, the first response is to mourn. It's to weep. It's to feel it. It's to long and pray that there might be righteousness, that there might be something better, that this is wrong. And here's the challenge in northwest Sydney. In a world under curse, how do we in our comfort respond? We don't like to feel sad. We don't like to mourn. It's easier to avoid these realities, to pretend that they don't exist, to ignore them, to blame, to stand in moral superiority over others who are suffering this way. Now we need to mourn. We need to feel this wrongness personally and we need to commit to being salt and light to righteousness and justice we want to see things change one of the great things about being young is that you have this optimism naturally a desire i hope all you young people i hope a desire to change the world uh, to be idealistic to have a godly dissatisfaction. This world is not the way it should be. I'm young. Things can be better. You know, I have to say I miss that idealism and optimism. You see, the danger with getting older is you stop mourning and you just accept the way things are or you conform yourself and become part of the problem. It's a great danger of getting older, more conservative. 
There is, however, a danger of youth. And that is to imagine that you can be the saviour. Or to imagine that this movement or this revolution can change things. The revolutions in our world have always been led by the young. With their blood. And the result of almost every revolution and the blood spilt, well, let's look at communist Russia, shall we? The Russian Revolution. Let's look at what happened in after the Arab Spring and the rise of ISIS. Let's look at what happened in China with the communist revolution or the cultural revolution. Let's think about what happened in France after the French Revolution. Greater wickedness. Almost more injustice. Is it possible? Paid for by the blood of young people. You see, the problem is you cannot change the world because you cannot change people's hearts. Only God can change the world. We need him to intervene to restore and new. We need God to intervene to lift the curse. How does Micah respond swept up in this crazy, unjust world? Does he put his hope in a politician or a movement or himself? You know, he puts his hope in God and he says, verse 7. But as for me, I will watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. And it's the same for us today, swept up in the madness. Where to wait. As we've been singing, we've been waiting for our our Saviour Jesus to return, who will right all wrongs, who will renew and recreate, and who will bring a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We're to live by faith as we've been singing. The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament brings attention to all these examples in the Bible of people who lived by faith, in uncertain times, in the world of curse. He starts with Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain, who lived by faith in a greater reality. He goes to Noah, who lived in wicked times, and then to Abraham and Moses, who lived during times of slavery, and even Rahab the prostitute in in Canaan, and Samuel and David and many more. And he says, they all waited for the Lord. Now, Micah is not mentioned by name, but he could have been. We get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. From verse 35. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. 
Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. These are like prophets, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These people of faith. Under the curse. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, he says, received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. They were looking for something better. They were waiting for the Lord. And today we are to follow their example. The writer goes on, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these examples of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who faced the curse, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We wait, fixing our eyes on Jesus, our Saviour, with a call to perseverance, holding fast to the promises of God. And so we even see this again in Micah's prophecy. Micah, in fact, had every reason to press on in faith and perseverance, even in the face of injustice and persecution. Micah, and as he seems to be now, faithful Israel, can say in verse 8, To the enemy, do not gloat over me, my enemy, though I have fallen. I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I cannot be defeated. I am more than a conqueror. The Lord will lift me up. He will be my light even in the darkest night. To quote Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me still. Yes, we live under the curse. And the hard thing is we actually have a rightful place here because we too have rejected God. We're not immune from the rebellion. But if we will turn to the Lord, if we will repent and live by faith in Him and trust in His promises, well, we see the light and the world looks different. Because we will look to Him for deliverance rather than to our own hearts or to someone who cannot change hearts. See, Micah has a living hope, a hope for rescue from the consequences of sin. He says in verse 9, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. I will live under this curse. Until he pleads my case and upholds my course, he will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. 
It's, another way of translating would be, I'm going to wait until the Lord strives, until he fights for my dispute, until he executes my judgment, which he does in the Lord Jesus. He shall lead me out to light. I will see his righteousness. See, faith looks and says, Lord, you're my only way out. There's this tragedy in Thailand at the moment with 12 boys from a soccer team stuck in a cave that's flooded. Now, I pray and hope that they are in a safe place and very, very hungry. It's dark. And they're sitting down feeling completely hopeless. This is what I hope. Imagine if they drill through or if the rain waters go down and they start to see a little bit of light. Five days without food. Do you think they will have energy to get out? I think they will because they will have the hope when they see the light. It will give them strength to press on. What we're being told here in Micah is that well, really, prophetically, Jesus is the light of the world, as Jesus said. Knowing him, as the writer to the Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on him gives us strength and power to persevere, to run the race marked out before us with our eyes set on him. And in, vindic and in him we have actually vindication. We have victory over the enemy, over the great Satan, and in his worldly expressions of all the evil and injustice. Verse 10, Then, when the Lord leads me out through the light, then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? When you're suffering under the curse. My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's vindication. There's glory. There's hope. And the unjust, the powerful who distort and exalt themselves, they will be brought low. They will be overthrown. The judgment will fall on them. And they will realize that despite their singing power, they do not control the future. But God does. And he has made great and certain promises about the future. He has promised that there is strength for today under the curse and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Therefore, today we persevere in hope, waiting for the Lord and working. See, you don't be passive. Working for God's tomorrow. God's revolution. God's kingdom, God's future. Not by our own strength, not by the strength of a new ideology or a new politician, but under the Creator's strength, working with Him and for Him. And if you are young, please, please do not let go of your, ideology, your, your idealism and your passion. But do it with the Lord. And if you're old and conservative and stuck, 
Will you please look to the Lord and have a passion that this world might be different under God? See, Micah affirms God's tomorrow to faithful Israel. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. People from all over will flock unto God and the boundaries of his kingdom will be extended. It will be glorious. It's what Micah said in chapter 4. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. And the Lord will go forth out of Zion, the city of God, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and they'll, he'll judge between many peoples. And they'll beat their swords to plowshares and their spears to pruning hooks. And they won't take up sword and they won't study for war anymore. What a day. What a promise. And those who refuse, those who stay in rebellion, well, judgment stands. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants and the result, as a result of their deeds. So could you sing earlier, we belong to the day, to the day that is to come. Can, could you, are you working for that day? Can we sing with the saints through the ages, although it's a fairly new song, by faith we see the hand of God. By faith this mountain shall be moved. By faith, I will hold on to the promises and keep working for the kingdom. By faith, I will make sure that I am following Jesus and being salt and light in a world under curse. I will show the way. I will help to preserve. I will be part of the upright and faithful in the land. I will point people to Jesus, who is ultimately the light of the world, the way out of the darkness. You see, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The people of God, let's call them Christians, have always been future-oriented, trusting in God's promises and the kingdom to come, and it is no different for us. We live after the coming of the Lord Jesus and his victory won on his death and resurrection. We await his second coming and his bringing of the kingdom and all its glory and power. In this time, as we sang earlier, the time before it's too late, the time for us to turn back to him. Micah's prophecy is, in a sense, I believe, heightened for us because we live in the overlap of these two ages. We live like that, those children in that picture amongst the garbage and the injustice, and yet we live 
with the glory and love of Jesus and the hope of a better world. And times it feels too much, doesn't it, living in this crazy world? Sometimes it all gets you down. Sometimes you're lost in the darkness. Maybe that's where you feel today. I was talking to someone out in the foyer and the injustice, it just controls their world, their life. The things that they are losing and missing out on because of injustice around the world. Remember this. You belong to the day in the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to the promises and the victory has been won. The enemy was defeated on the cross. And we look forward to the fullness of that day when Jesus returns. And there will be a final judgment on those who stay in their injustice and their wickedness and their self-service, who refuse the saving king. And there will be blessing and freedom for those in Christ who live by faith. For now, in this crazy world of injustice and strife, we press on. We walk humbly with our God. We live with hope and wait for our Saviour and watch for Him. We persevere through the trials with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We live, we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we live for his kingdom. That is faith in the face of injustice. Let me pray. Father, help us to persevere in faith. Help us to hold fast to your promises. Help us to rest on the victory Jesus has won. And help us, Lord, not get weary. Help us, Lord, not lose our optimism and our idealism in Jesus. But press on for, a great, for justice and truth and mercy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.